This morning I discussed uh, one of the effects of sin is that it scatters people. It scattered men away from God. It scattered Cain out from the presence of the Lord. It scattered the, <clears throat> the nations one from another in Genesis 11. And then the book of Genesis closes with Jacob prophesying that the Messiah, Shiloh, would come, which means to give peace or rest, and that he had gathered the peoples, plural, under him. And uh, I talked about that this morning in the passages in the New Testament that deal with Christ coming to gather people back that sin is scattered. John the Baptist foretold that he had gathered the wheat into the garner, Matthew 3.12. Jesus pointed out that those that did not gather with him were scattering, Matthew 12 and 30. But in John 11.52, John commenting upon the statement made by Caiaphas, indicating that Caiaphas said more than he thought he was saying, said that he would gather together one in him, the children of God. And so we have in the statement made by John that Jesus came to gather back, to gather in him one, and those are the children of God. And that's what Jesus came into the world to do, to gather those that sin is scattered and to gather them as children of God. We learn that the apostles were sent out to gather the elect, Matthew chapter 24, that uh, Ephesians 1.10, that Jesus uh, came to gather all things in him, and that the church composed the gathered. And then, <clears throat> because the church is composed of those that Christ has gathered, they come together on the first day of the week, Acts 20 and 7. They do not forsake the assembling of themselves together, Hebrews 10.25. And then, in the gathering up of those that uh, people out of sin, they are those who are not genuine Christians. And therefore, there will come that time when there will be those who will be gathered out of the kingdom, the parable of the tares in Matthew chapter 13. And those that have been caught by the net, the good and the bad, and the bad will be cast out, Matthew 13, verses 45 to 47. And then I talked about... <clears throat> uh, the gathering at the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. But tonight I want to pursue that a little bit further. And I want to talk about some further significance of Christ coming into the world to gather not only those that are scattered by sin, but in gathering those that are scattered by sin to undo some of the things that sin has done and to correct the evil the turmoil and the confusion that sin is wrong. And so I want to read some passages tonight that talk about those that are gathered as being together. John eleven fifty two says that that's what he came to do, to gather together in one the children of God. And therefore, in gathering together the children of God in one, or gathering in one the children of God, there are certain things that are uh, to be the result of that, and I want to talk about some of these tonight. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, Paul 
mentions those who were dead in trespasses and in sin. And of course, those who are dead are those who are scattered, because the word dead means separated. And therefore, being separated from God, they are scattered out from God. And then he describes the condition and why they are in such a condition. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And therefore being scattered out, all then begins to show how that the reference made in Ephesians 1.10, that Christ was to gather all things in him, how this process takes place. And thus I read in verse 5 of Ephesians 2, even when ye were dead in sin, and thereby scattered, as the picture that we've already seen, even when ye were dead in sin, uh, hath quickened us together, or made alive together. And so here's the beginning of the process of, as to how we are brought together. Men are, that have been scattered by sin are brought together by being made alive. That's what the word quicken means. I mentioned this morning in Romans 6 and 5, Paul talking about the obedience of the gospel said that if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death. There, showing that this takes place in our obedience to the faith of the gospel. And so here then, we are quickened together. But not only is that, verse 6 says, and raised us up together. And so those that have been scattered and are being gathered by Christ are made alive or quickened together and then raised up together. And then the next verse says that they might sit together. Or the same verse says, verse 6 says, raise us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And therefore Christ came into the world to, that had been scattered by sin, or where men had been scattered by sin, to find them and gather them together in one, the children of God. And the process by which this is done is through the obedience of the gospel. And in so doing, they are quickened or made alive, passed from death unto life, and are raised up, and then sit together. But now two other verses in the Ephesian letter, which further show the significance of Christ gathering together in one, the children of God. The church, of course, as pointed out in Ephesians 2, the latter part of Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, is the place or the people that are gathered together. But in Ephesians 2 and 21, it says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. And thus, Jesus came to gather those that have been scattered by sin and uh, in making them alive and raising them up and to sit in heavenly places, 
then is to fitly frame them together in the temple of the Lord. Look at the language there. Fitly frame together. <clears throat> I would say that I'm just a very ordinary preacher. But I would also say I'm not even an ordinary carpenter. Because I can't saw a line straight. Most of the time I miss a nail. And uh, I never have been able to do much in anything that involved any kind of carpentry work. Maybe I told you about the time, <clears throat> the first house that we lived in, instead of the hinges of the door being put on like they should be, they just nailed up flat on the door and on the wall like you put up a barn door. I got tired of looking at that and decided that I would fix it. And so I took the door down, tried to put, got some hinge, regular door hinges to put on, tried to cut into the door and into the door framing so I could make that door fitly fit in that frame. I got it all together, put the hinges on the door and on the wall, and then I started to shut the door. And the top corner was about six inches above the frame. So I decided I'd work on it some more. I worked on it some more, and the more I worked on it, the less it fitly framed together. And after <clears throat> some lengthy time, I decided the best thing I could do was to take the door down, put the hinges back just like they were, and leave them that way. And when we moved out of that house, that's the way that door was still hanging. It did not fitly, it wasn't fitly framed. Now just think about building a house and having it in the, the condition that this one is in. You wouldn't want me to build you a house and have it framed with the kind of framing I do. It would not be fitly framed. Now think about the church. Sin is scattered people. And humanity, a big, as a result of sin, fits together about like that door and that door frame that I had. That's the way sin keeps people from fitting together. But Christ came into the world to gather out of the world those that have been scattered by sin and that I cannot fit and adjust together. And in the church, God intends for us to be fitly framed together. That's the work of the church, so that we can fitly be fitly framed together. That means that we are adjusted one to another. Think about the importance of that. Is that the kind of picture that we present to the world? That the work that Christ has done in our lives in redeeming us from sin? <clears throat> has enabled us to be fitly framed together as a building? Or sometimes is the work that's been done on our lives sort of like the work that I did on the door. Some of us sort of hang sideways and we don't fit exactly. We need to remember that part of Christ coming into the world <clears throat> to gather men out is to be able to fit us together so that we form a building that's fitly framed. But there's still another 
verse in the same book that talks about that. In verse 16 of Ephesians 4, he said, For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here again, you have the idea of Christ gathering those that have been scattered by sin and unable to adjust one to another and being brought into the church and thereby as members of the body they are to be fitly joined together so that every joint may supply that which is its function and then to edify itself in love. In reading that, I thought about what would a body look like if uh, you had one foot on an arm and a hand on a foot and an eye where an ear was and an ear where an eye was. What kind of body would that or how would it be able to function? That would be a strange body, wouldn't it? Each member of the body is intended for a special function in a special place. And for the body to function efficiently, it's necessary for each member to function in its proper place and in its proper way. Sin keeps men from functioning in the proper capacity in society. Christ came into the world to gather those that have been scattered by sin to bring them into the body of Christ and there as a member in that body to be fitly joined together and impacted so that every joint supplies that measure working that enables the church to grow and to edify itself in love. Now we need to think about that. Is that the kind of body that we present to the world? Or is there still the impact of sin in our lives? And are we members of the body of Christ that do not contribute to its welfare and to its growth? Then again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, a very familiar passage, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that you be of the same mind and the same judgment, that you be perfectly joined together. And so there again is that unity of spirit and mind and heart that's brought about as a result of Christ gathering those who have been scattered by sin and bringing them into the body of Christ where they are united in one. I think there are some things that the Bible teaches about unity that we haven't really given sufficient emphasis to. We've emphasized the importance of being united in name, that we all wear the same name. We've emphasized the importance of having the same worship. The Bible teaches that. We've emphasized the importance of being united in organization, to being united in work. 
other things along this line. But there is a unity that the, in the New Testament that is far deeper than this. In Romans 15, Paul said that they might with one mouth and one mind glorify God. Now think about that. With one mind and one mouth. One mind means that we come to think alike, and that's what Ephesians 1.10 says. We'll do that when we come to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2.5-10. And when we all have the same mind of Christ, then we'll all speak alike. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then in Acts 4 and 32, the Bible says that they were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them said that all the things he possessed was his own. Now think about that kind of unity. Sin scatters and divides men, separates men, because of what it does to the hearts and the minds of people. Christ came into the world to gather those that have been scattered and to give them his mind, and in so doing, unite them in heart, in mind, in thought, in affection, and in will. And that's the kind of unity that the New Testament teaches. That's the kind of unity that we need to demonstrate to the world. We need to realize that when we do not allow the gospel to mold our lives and we are not one in mind and heart and will with our brethren in Christ, it's because of the result of sin that still affects our lives. We need to open our minds and hearts to the gospel of Christ so that we can become of one heart and one mind, that we're committed to one call, that whenever there is a work that needs to be done, all of us will contribute to the very best of our ability and wholeheartedly in the work that's being done. The church at Antioch was like that. In Acts 11, we read that when they learned of the famine condition that there was in Jerusalem and in Palestine, the record says, then every man, every disciple, every man determined they had seen relief to the brethren that were in Judea. And so there you have that oneness of heart, oneness of mind, oneness of will to carry out the Lord's will. But then again, in 1 Corinthians 11, 20, Paul talked about when you come together in one place. And of course, the very fact that people have been raised together and made to sit together, that they have one mind and one heart means that they want to be together. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 11, 20 said that they've come together in one place that denotes the unity of the church. We talk about unity and oneness of the church. What kind of unity is there when there are brethren that do not come to one place? We don't think about that as being contrary to the unity that the New Testament teaches, but it is. For here the whole church has come together in one place. And then again in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, he said when the whole church become together, but then in 1 Corinthians 11, 34, 
he said that uh, you may come not together under condemnation. And therefore, the whole church is to come together, but we need to be careful that we do not come together under condemnation. The church at Corinth was coming together, but even in coming together, Paul said they were coming together under condemnation. There was something wrong with them when they assembled. There was division. There were those that refused to have anything to do with others. And the result of alienated spirit, alienated hearts one from another, as a result of the problem that there were in Corinth, Paul said that when they came together, they came together under condemnation. But then again, if the church is to be one and is to be gathered out and is to be fitly framed together and to be joined together, how is that to be done? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2 said, That thou hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. Here we have the further work of Christ gathering those that have been scattered by sin and producing love within their hearts. And this becomes the tie that binds and that knits Christians together. Where there is not that love, we are not knit together. Have you ever noticed a garment that's knitted? And if you happen to get the right string and begin to pull it, that the whole sweater will unravel? That's what happens whenever the church fails to be knit together in love. That's what happens to it. The string begins to pull, and the first thing you know, the whole thing is unraveled. Instead of the church being united and being one and fulfilling its mission in the world, then it's become unraveled. Therefore, the importance of our learning what this passage says, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love unto all the riches of full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of his Father and of Christ Jesus. Then note in verse 19 how this is to be done. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment, ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. And thus, in order for the church to be knit together, number one, there must be love that binds brethren together, and then they must hold to the head, that is Christ, realizing that he is the head of the body that he is the head of the church. And it's only as we hold to him that we can stay united and are influenced by him that we'll be motivated by love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment give I unto you, that you are to love one another even as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. So uh, Satan creates hatred and discord and strife. And in the scattering of men, that is the result. Christ came into the world to gather those that have been scattered by sin, to gather them into the church. And in gathering them into the church, 
to bring them together and to knit them together in love. And as they hold of the head which is Christ, there's not anything that can sever them or to tear them apart. And we need to learn to practice the, the principles that are set forth in that and realize that we are gathered together and knit together in love. But then in Philippians 1 and 21, in order for us to stay in the, that frame of mind and heart, it's necessary for us to practice the things that stated in this verse. Listen. Rather, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear your affairs and I mark it. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Therefore, as we are made alive and raised and made sit together, fitly framed together, and fitly joined together, of the same mind and the same judgment, knit together in love, and holding on to Christ the head, then we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And that's what he was appealing for the Philippians to do. That whether he could come or whether he had simply heard of their uh, affairs, that they had stand fast in one spirit, that they had strived together for the faith of the gospel. But then again, Peter, in the First Peter chapter 3, in talking about wives and husbands, points out that Christ, or as sin has scattered men and has broken up homes and disturbed homes, that Christ has come into the world to undo what sin has done, and that in undoing what sin has done, he is to make husband and wives heirs together of the grace of God. And, and just think about what sin's doing to wreck homes today. And the sad thing about it is, so many times, even those who are in the church have not come to realize that Christ came to gather those that have been scattered by sin and bringing them into the body of Christ not only adjust, uh, makes it possible for them to adjust to one another in their fellowship in the body of Christ, but at the same time makes it possible for wives and husbands to adjust one to another and to live together as heirs of the grace of God. There's something wrong. Somebody misunderstood the impact and the nature of the gospel of Christ and the work of Christ in gathering those that have been scattered by sin when homes are torn asunder. And it's sad today that even in the church, homes are breaking up and being torn asunder. And result of those who are wives or husbands, not allowing the gospel to affect their lives and to enable them to adjust and to fit one with another. We need to come to understand that being gathered out of sin into the church and the work that Christ has done involves something sometimes perhaps even more and deeper than we think. But then not only that, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, in the verse 
17. Well, I think I'll just begin reading in verse 13, a very familiar passage. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with it. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the arcane with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now note this passage. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And thus sin is scattered. Jesus came into the world to gather back, and he's gathering those by the proclamation of the gospel. As they hear the gospel, they're being gathered in, and as they're gathered in, they allow themselves under the influence of the gospel to be fitly framed and fitly joined, knit together in love, striving together in prayer, as together the grace of God. And as a result of that, when the Lord returns, those that are still living will be caught together with those that have died. Those then will be resurrected and caught together, caught up together, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then listen to this final passage. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now then we're right back where Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin ever entered. And before sin had done its damaging work and had scattered men and torn men asunder, we've seen that Christ has come into the world to gather back and to bring together in one, to make men sit together, being made alive and raised up, fitly framed together and fitly joined together, joined together one mind, as together the grace of God, striving together in prayer for the faith of the gospel, and that when he returns that we'll be caught up together, and together we'll be glorified with the Lord. That's the scheme of redemption in a chapter. That's what Christianity is all about. And we need to think about it carefully and seriously. Tonight, the Lord is seeking to gather together those that sin is scattered. That's the reason that we're, one of the reasons we're here in this assembly tonight is because that the Lord is seeking to gather together those that sin is scattered. If you're here and sin scattered you and separated you from God, then the Lord wants to gather you back into one, into his body, that you might be a child of God. He wants to raise you up in the obedience to the gospel, so that you may be able to sit with others in heavenly places, and that you may begin to take the gospel and allow it to influence your lives so that you may be fitly framed with others that are Christians, that you may be fitly joined with others that are Christians, that you may grow in love, that your heart may become knit in love to others that are children of God that you may join with others in striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
That as a wife or a husband with another, the other that is a Christian, you may together be heirs of the grace of God. That when he comes back, if you're still living, you may be caught up together. And then finally, all of us who have allowed the gospel to remold and make us and fit us into the body of Christ as the gospel intends, together we'll be glorified on that judgment day. It defies the imagination of man. Think about the havoc that sin has wrought, the ruin that it's done, the hurt and the heartache, how it's affected the lives of men, and that Jesus has come into the world to undo what sin has done, to gather those that are scattered and bring back and to remake and remold into his own image. And having allowed the gospel to affect their lives, on that great and final day to see that group that's been gathered in by the Lord then to be glorified together. What a day. Don't you want to be a Christian if you're not one? If you're not a Christian, do you not want to be raised up tonight that you may be made alive and then to sit with others in heavenly places and then begin to allow the gospel to mold, remold and make your life. If you believe that Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, you believe that with all of your heart. If you're tired and weary of sin and want to give it up, if you realize that the devil has scattered you away from the Lord because of sin and you want to turn from that way of life to the values that are high and noble and worthwhile, you're willing to confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world? And then this night be planted together with him in baptism that you may be raised up, and then to sit together in heavenly places with others that are in Christ? Or if you, as a Christian, have not allowed the gospel to affect your life and to, so that you can be fitly framed, fitly joined, and you have not allowed the gospel to affect your life in love one to another so that you can be knit to your brethren. And therein it is hatred and bitterness. Then you need to renounce that and ask the Lord to forgive you and open your heart to the power of the gospel and let him motivate you to love your brethren. And uh, through this means, then begin to work and to strive together. If there are wives and husbands who lie to not been affected by the gospel as they ought to, and sin is scattering and drawing apart, then may you allow the gospel of Christ to draw you together and to make the correction and adjustments in your life that together as heirs of the grace of God your prayers may not be hindered, as First Peter 3, 7 says. And then move toward the day that we'll all be caught up together and then stand before the Lord to be glorified together. Won't it be a wonderful day when the saints of God at Adamsville, who've lived under the influence and the power of the gospel, has allowed their lives to be fitly framed and fitly joined and knit together in love one for another, and they strive together in prayer and as together the grace of God won't it be a great day to stand before God in judgment and there be glorified together?
What a day and what a joy. The invitation's yours. While together we stand and sing.